Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to start in verse 1, and it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, so they weren't patient people, were they? <laughs> they didn't patiently wait for the promise. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Whew. That's not some good people. Patience is a virtue. They needed some. We're going to continue in a minute, but if you study this out, the golden calf is really same thing as cast metal. So it may not have been a golden calf, but it was something. And that is the thing that brought them out of Egypt. Isn't that amazing how quickly they turned? Let's continue in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. How many of y'all know that's not good? It's not good to be stiff-necked with the Lord. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses employed the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Now, let's just pause here for a moment in... Verse 7, the Lord tells Moses, these are your people. <laughs> but here in verse 11, Moses is telling God, uh-uh, they're your people. <laughs> you brought them up. You brought them out with a mighty hand. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and, cons and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven 
And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring of bringing on his people. Aren't you thankful for Moses? He interceded, he stepped in, he he reasoned with God. He reminded God of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And remember, we've looked at that, how important that is for us to remember, because it reminds us of God's promises and it reminds us of the things that he's done for his people. And here it happens again. Now, if you don't know, this setting has taken place where God had called up Moses and he was on the mountain for 40 days and God has given him the instructions of the or given him the Ten Commandments. And then uh, he'll have the instructions of the tabernacle and all that. But um, God had miraculously and supernaturally brought them out of Egypt and kept them while they were trying to get to the promised land. And yet the people turned on them while they had to wait for Moses to come down. And they turned on the God who brought them out. I want to remind you of what he did to bring them out. First of all, there were the ten plagues. And if you remember, the last one was the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And that was the institution of Passover as well. He led them by a pillar of pillars of cloud during the day and pillars of fire at night when they were moving. They crossed over the Red Sea on dry land. And when the Egyptians chased them, they drowned in the same sea. He made bitter water become sweet. He provided manna from heaven, water from the rock, and gave Moses again the, the instructions of the tabernacle and how to build it. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the supernatural work that God did, they still turned on him 40 days later. Can you imagine that? How quickly they've forgotten, how quickly they turned away from God, but how quickly we forget as well and how quickly we turn away from God as well. As soon as something doesn't go our way, when we view things out of our natural understanding, we get mad at God. And I'm sharing all of this because we're going through a series that tells us that not every thought that we have comes from God. And we have to test what we hear and, and see if it aligns with God and his word. And if it doesn't, we need to reject it immediately. And by the way, this is the month for alignment as well. So um, make sure you're getting in agreement and alignment with God and his word. There's more than one voice out there, more than just God's voice. And we have to be on guard against the other voices. And it's really one voice and it's the voice of the enemy. It's the voice of the world. They're one and the same. And they have one purpose in mind. This is the voice that is contrary to God. This is their, their only mission in your life. And it's found in John, John, John 10, 10. John, John. John 10, 10. The thief comes only, if I say only, to steal and kill and destroy. 
when we hear the other voice, that's the only mission that it has. That's the only purpose that it is focused on in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is what we have to be on guard against. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we've looked at this. We're going to add a scripture that we haven't looked at. But to be able to steal and kill and destroy from us, all that needs to be done is the enemy convinces us that God is not who he says he is and God's word is not what it says it is. When that happens, once we agree with that lie, then God's identity is immediately changed and our identity is immediately changed as well. And we've been looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All the enemy has to do is to get us to be discontent with the situation that we are in and then turn to someone else or something else to find what we desire. That's all he has to do. Because when he gets us discontent with God, then we have to start looking for another means. The enemy convinced them that God was withholding his best from them, which was a lie. All they knew at that time, everything that they knew was just all good. Okay? But they became aware of evil all through becoming discontent with God through a lie. This changed their perception and thinking of right and wrong. And they wanted to be the ones who determine what was right and wrong. Instead of trusting in God and his word and his character and in his nature. And when all of this took place, then absolute truth has gone by the wayside. The enemy got them to reject God. Therefore, they're rejecting absolute truth from God, from what we now know as the Bible. And now they would be the ones who would determine morality. They were going to be the ones who determine what is true, what is right, what is wrong. Mankind would do that now. Instead of having something constant and unchanging, which is God, we could... We could be the ones determining morality, right and wrong, according to our feelings, which 
are constantly changing and very, very subjective. Amen? So, morally speaking, we would be our own gods, and that is exactly what is happening in this world today. It has been happening since the fall, but we see it happening in America in particular. When we remove or change who God is in His Word, then we become the ones who decide right and wrong, good and evil, and it, it is all subject to our feelings and to our desires, what we want. We heard this at the conference we went to. When we have students who identify as a cat and the school has to provide a litter box inside the restroom, we should become scared. But we aren't. That should be very concerning to us, but we're not scared. We're not concerned. It is amazing how far from truth we are swaying. If you know science, you understand that children do not have the ability to make right decisions on their own. And even if you don't believe in science, then believe that the reason that God gave parents to children is for parents to lead their children because they don't have the capacity to know what is right and wrong. And it is our responsibility as parents to teach them what is right and wrong. Children do not have the capacity to determine who they are. So first of all, God did. God determined their gender. God determined their race, their face. He determined their family. Good, bad, and ugly. Second of all, parents should confirm what God has done. And it's not hard to figure out. Parents, if you need help, just call us up. We'll let you know who they are. If they are a male or a female. It's not hard. You don't even have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. But as parents, we need to confirm that. And thirdly, society needs to agree with God too. Or we have the craziness that is going on in this world. We have come to the conclusion that we are helping these kids when we allow them to make these choices and we support them. It's, it's not proper. We're hurting our children by allowing them to think that they are something other than what God has created them to be. And, and not only that, when you think that you're a cat or a dog or a bird, you need help. You don't need affirmation. You need help. When what we are teaching is we're teaching our kids how to build your house on sand. And when the storms of life come, it's going to fall. 
You're not going to remain. You're not going to be able to make it. We need to be building our lives and the lives of our children on the Word of God. The enemy got Adam and Eve's eyes and our eyes off of God and onto themselves and onto ourselves. And the world has been a mess ever since. And exactly how they messed everything up, Jesus came to fix, restore, and redeem. You're in Genesis. I want to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 one more time because there's something in here and we're going to take some time to look at this. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And I want to look at what she saw. There's three things that she saw that are in this scripture. This first one is, she saw that the tree was good for food. And so this is speaking of the appetites, the desires of the natural world that are within us. And he's not limiting this just to food, though. He's talking about the natural desires that we have. And she saw that this tree was good for those desires. Those fleshly desires. Our fleshly appetites. Number two, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It was a delight to the eyes. And in Hebrews, we've already read that. That the um, sin... The fleeting pleasures of sin. They look good for a moment. They seem good for a moment, but they don't last. And she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. The fruit on there was a delight to the eyes. That's the desire from our eyes. Number three. She saw that the tree was desired to make one wise. And she's getting it from a different source. She's not getting it from God. So I'm going to use a phrase here and I'll prove that it's correct in just a moment. What she saw was she could take life into her own hands. She could make the decisions of right and wrong. She could be the one in control. And we call that pride. It's a good group today. Y'all are getting this. Pride. And pride is simply rejecting God and taking matters into your own hands. Believing that you have the power and you have the right to make the decisions for your life. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Keep your fingers in Genesis chapter 3 if you will please. But if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to see how John answered these three things. Okay? <clears throat> the th three things. That the tree was good for food. 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desired to make one wise or pride. So in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Okay, that's what he's writing to the church. That's a command for us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he makes a statement. For all that is in the world. Now he's talking about the world system, the government of the world. Obviously, we live in this world. We have to be part of this world. So he's not talking about all of it, but he's talking about the the system, the, the way things are of this world. For Verse 16, for all that is in the world, and here are the three, you ready? The desires of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. John says that was the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the eyes. And it said that she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. The desires of her eyes. And then it says, and pride of life. And what was the last one? That the tree is, was desired to make one wise. To be able to live separated from God. And John says that's the pride of life. He's answering what took place in the garden with the truth of what Jesus came to do and how he came to redeem back what, what we had lost. Let me read 16 altogether now because there's more. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Isn't this awesome? And so what the enemy has turned and messed up through the fall is redeemed through the life of Jesus Christ. And John is telling us about it. I want to encourage us that we are made for so much more than how this world would describe us. When we look to the world for our identity, do we understand that our identity is limited to the world's understanding and the world's truth? So you identify as, and you can fill in the blank. But if it's worldly and earthly, and you're identifying as that, it's going to pass away. You think you're a cat? Well, guess what? It's going to pass away. You think you're a bird and you're just going to sing your way through life? Guess what? That's going to pass away one day. It's temporal. It's not eternal. 
We are three-part beings. We've talked about this in the past. Spirit, soul, and body. And Paul lays this out in uh, 2 Thessalonians, I believe it is. And that's all in the proper order. Spirit, soul, and body. We're not body, soul, and spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body. We have to be made, or we have to be known after the body or the natural realm because we are part of that and we live in the world with our body. So we're the only creatures that God has made that live in the earth and also get to touch heaven. We're the only ones because we're a spirit and we have a soul and we have a body. We get to live on earth, but we get to also tap into heaven. We get to receive from heaven. We get to be spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. We all have natural identities, but we also have spiritual identities as well. I am known as a son, as a brother, as a cousin, as an uncle, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend, and any other thing that you want to identify me as. In this world, that's who I am. I can't get away from that. That's who I am. But nowhere in there will you see or hear that I'm identified as a cat or a dog or a fish or anything else that's nonsense. I can take pride in them, but I don't go around bragging about them or advertising them. I'm simply that. Nowadays, people are identifying themselves out of a worldly, natural view. And it has become more about our sexuality and our gender than anything else. Unless you're identifying as a cat or a dog or a bird or a fish or whatever else. And what's so sad about this is people are boastful and prideful about this identity in their life. You can send emails to somebody else. But I want you to know something. When we identify after the natural realm and in particularly our sexuality and our gender and the other things that follow from them. Can I tell you that you are identifying with the, all the math teachers are going to love this, the LCD. The least common denominator. You are identifying as the least way that you can identify And you take pride in that. How ridiculous and crazy is that? When you identify in the natural realm and that is your identity, then you are limited to that. And it overrides who you are in the sight of God. 
We are consumed nowadays with the fact that we celebrate our natural identity above our God-given identity, either spiritually or in the natural. How low can we be when we are boastful about identifying as a cat or anything else that is of that nature? That's even lower than a human being. And people are arrogant and prideful and boastful of that. That is not good. That is not normal. They need treatment. They need help. It's a tragedy is what it is. And when we identify and make our aim in boasting about our sexuality or our gender, that is a tragedy as well. We have just reduced ourselves to our sexual activity. And there's way more than that that God has created us for. If you'll, hopefully you have your fingers in Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to 3 as well, but I just want you to see this. Have you ever wondered why the world wants to have the gay pride parades and days and months and everything else? Because they know it's wrong. And they have to boast about it. And if you've ever seen what goes on there, we should be crying out to God. Because it's not normal. What I'm saying is, I'm, I'm going to prove this from the scriptures. That when we identify ourselves as sexual beings, we're missing the mark. When we're more concerned about our gender and, and how we identify ourselves according to our own wishes, desires, fallen nature, then we're missing what God has done for us and how He created us. In Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 20, I'm not going to read it yet, but here's the deal. Um, everything is good, except for it's not good that Adam doesn't have a helpmate. And so he brings all the animals before Adam and Adam, he asks Adam to name them. OK. And so this is where we find ourselves. Genesis chapter two, verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens. And to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. In other words there wasn't anybody in his realm. There wasn't anybody who was made in his likeness and image. Okay. And yet we're lowering ourselves to this. Alright let's continue. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep. To fall upon the man. And while he slept. Took one of his ribs. And closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man. He made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said. 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Isn't that awesome? All right, here's what I want you to see. Verse 27 or 24. No, we'll read 24, but it's not it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So now he's talking about the union of them. Okay. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's two times that it talks about Adam and Eve being naked. This is the first time. Okay. And in this nakedness, they were not ashamed. And you have to ask yourself, well, why weren't they ashamed? So this is before the fall. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And this is after the fall. And this is the verse that we threw in today that we haven't been reading out of Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But this is Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew. Everybody said they knew. They knew that they were naked. Isn't that amazing? They didn't know it in, in Genesis 2.25. They were naked, but they didn't know it. And they were ashamed. And this is what it says, the rest of the verse. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why? To cover up the differences that they now knew were between them. They didn't know this before the fall. They know it after the fall. They saw themselves in a totally different perspective from before the fall and after the fall. One was spiritual. They saw with spiritual eyes. They understood the spiritual understanding of how God made them as husband and wife and they were naked and they weren't ashamed. Because they were identifying as spiritual beings and they're getting ready to have a physical body. So before the fall, they see themselves as spiritual. After the fall, they see themselves as earthly. And they see it in a sexual nature. And that is what I believe is a reason that the world is trying to promote that sexuality and now the gender stuff that is a part of it because that's how, after the fall, humanity views itself. Instead of realizing that we're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience and this natural part is going to fade away, it's going to waste away, it's going to go away someday. No matter how you try to save it, it's not going to last. And the crazy thing is, is the world is taking pride in identifying as something in the natural versus being prideful of how God has made us, of being concerned with how God has made us as spiritual beings having a temporary human body. 
We need to see that being in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and being in alignment with His Word is more important and allows us to be all that God has called us to be. There is so much more that God has created us for than to be identified or known after your sexuality. It's ridiculous. He is... When we understand and we have that right relationship with God, then it opens up tremendous and unlimited possibilities for us. But when we identify as whatever it is in the natural, we limit ourselves. We cut off what God has for us. And I just want to encourage you. God has so much, much more for us than to be identified as earthly. And being very, very limited. Stand with me if you will. You're made for more than sex. It's fleeting. It's going to go away one day. And yet we've elevated it to a place that is very unnatural in this world. I promise you, if you come back next week, you will get a greater understanding of the more, of the much, much more that God has created you for. We will look and see how God has created us, His intentions for our lives, and that He has given us the power to walk in it. You may not be encouraged today. Maybe you are. I don't know. But I just want to encourage you are made for more than this natural realm that we're elevating. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for making us in your likeness and image. And Father, I pray that we would have the humility and the wisdom not to Look at ourselves and limit ourselves to only the natural realm of this world. Because your word has already described out of 1 John chapter 2 that it's passing away. It's going away. It's fleeting. We're here today. We're gone. The wind's blowing over it. And this world doesn't even know where we were. Lord, forgive us for elevating the natural above the spiritual. Forgive this country. And Lord, we ask that you would turn us back to a proper understanding of who we are, being made in the likeness and image of you, our God, our Father, our Savior, our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.